I just want to read this verse out of 2 Kings chapter 6, when Elijah and his servant were surrounded by other armies. It says, when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, and an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots and fire all around. And what I want to tell you today, you might be surrounded by depression. You might be surrounded by anger and rage. You might be surrounded by confusion. You might be surrounded by a bunch of people at work that don't like you. But in the spiritual world, you are surrounded by the hosts and the armies of heaven and chariots of fire there to defend you and ready to look out for you. So whatever it is, whether it's depression, anger, rage, sadness, God is with you. And he's going to fight your battles for you. Your job is to sing out and to glorify God to an audience of one and watch him deliver you. Amen? Amen. 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 Heavenly Father, we thank you for your victory in our lives. We thank you that you are our defender. We thank you that you, 2,000 years ago, went to the cross and took our place, and you fought on our behalf, Lord. We thank you for that, Lord. May we ever sing your praise, and may we ever know, despite how dark it gets, how emotionally disturbed we get, despite how <clears throat> disturbed our thoughts might get, that we are surrounded by you as long as we lift you up and glorify you and look to you. As David said, we will look beyond the hills where our help comes from. Look to you knowing that one day we will be delivered and set free from everything that plagues us that does not align to the word of God in our lives. Whether it's thoughts, emotions, desires, or even our friends that we associate with. May everything align to the word of God in our life so that we may be delivered because we are your children in Jesus' name, somebody said, amen. amen, amen. You can be seated. You can be seated. I know uh, we got some kids that are ready to go back, right? They're like, stop singing. All right, go on back. Go have fun. Go learn about Jesus. Go enjoy yourselves. And Memorial, uh, Memorial Day weekend is always interesting for a church because you, you never know who's at the lake or out of town or just at home on the grill and who's going to show up, right? Y'all aren't. You, you, yes, thank you. Um, in ministry, though, when you're, when you're running a church, you just never know. It's like, okay, here we go. Roll the dice. Let's see what happens. Um, so thank you guys for coming out. Listen, I am totally thankful and grateful for everybody that helped out yesterday at the meet and greet in Summer Lake. Um, it was a joy to play volleyball and see my fellow church sisters in the sand, eating sand, um, in beach volleyball. And it was an honor for us to sponsor that tournament and give away the prizes. And um, thanks, everybody, for coming out. Next Sunday's Baptism Sunday. There is a baptism sign-up sheet. Uh, if you want to be baptized, if you've made that declaration, uh, but you've never made a public declaration through baptism of your faith, we want you to sign up and do that. Uh, we, we do have somebody that has given their life to Christ in the last couple of weeks, and so they're going to be given their... Yes, absolutely. 
Um, and so they're going to be getting baptized next week. And the free rummage, seriously, uh, that Friday night before the 11th, so I guess that would make Friday the 10th, wouldn't it? Um, Friday's the 11th? I'm sorry. Friday the 11th, that evening, we're going to have you bring your things here, um, and we'll have everything organized where, you know, clothes go and other things go, TVs or whatever you're giving away. Um, and we'll have that ready and just set that out Friday night. And then Saturday, when Summer Lake has their big rummage garage sales, we will then um, go ahead and just give stuff away. And we want to love people the way Jesus loved, and Jesus did not give us his second best. He gave us his best. So don't bring the iron that only warms up halfway and doesn't warm up all the way. Nobody, you don't want that iron. They don't want that iron. Uh, whatever it is you're giving away, make sure it's decent, okay? You guys with me? Yep. I mean, the last thing we want to do is I went to that free church rummage and I got that junky TV that only Channel 3 works, right? Some of you are like, Channel 3, you don't, you're like, what, cable? YouTube, I just watch YouTube, what are you talking about? I watch Twitch and YouTube, right? All right, anyway, well, today we're going to finish up our series, The Bible and National Defense, and we started off talking about how God causes nations to rise and causes nations to fall. We've talked about morality and crime and the importance of police and so on. And today we're going to wrap this up, seems appropriate on Memorial Day, talking about God's ordination and God's approval of military. And so if you're serving or have served, thank you very much for that. Um, we really, really appreciate it. Today we're going we're gonna to be... I mean, if you're taking notes, get ready, because your pen is going to be smoking writing down Bible verses, okay? Are you, are you good with that? You guys good with that? All right, your thumb, you know, who's, who's got thumbs of thunder, like you just, when you text? Let me see, get the thumbs of thunder ready if you're taking notes on your iPad or phone, all right? The first one is Numbers chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, out of the modern English version. God talks to Moses. They've come out of Egypt, and they're, they're going to the promised land, and God speaks to Moses here, and he says, take the sum of all the congregation of Israel. So look at, look at all of the million people that you just brought out of Egypt um, after their, I'm just going to call it out, there's a typo, after their families, I before E, no, wait, never mind, okay, after their families, by the house of their fathers, with the number of their names, every male by their poles from 20 years old and upward, all who are able to go out to war in Israel, you and Aaron will number them by their armies. So, God speaks to Moses, and he says, Moses, now that you've come out of Egypt, you've got like a million people that know nothing but slavery. They don't know how to defend themselves. They don't, your, your flank is exposed. Your six is exposed. I've got a few people in the house that understand that, right? And he says, Moses, you're exposed. You need to count all of the families that came out and find all of the men who are able to fight age 20 and over you need to equip them and begin to train them for war. You need to equip them to defend themselves so that my people, 
who I've called out can be defended. Now, it would have been very easy for God to say, hey, Moses, when you get attacked, don't worry about it. I'll defend you. Don't worry about it. Don't train these guys for war. Don't train these guys to fight. Just I'll take care of it. He didn't tell Moses that. He told Moses, find people, find men specifically that are 20 years and older and begin to train them and prepare them. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, take the kids age 13 and up and equip them. He's identifying with Moses. He's saying, find the men. Find the men. I don't believe that it was ever God's intent for a 12-year-old to walk around with a machine gun. I don't believe it was ever God's intent for a child to have to defend their country. It is the responsibility of the adults to defend, right? And so God tells Moses that. These are not boys. God, just through this conversation with Moses, God fully intends a country to defend itself. Moses, be ready. You're going to have to defend yourself. And in fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, it's not going to be up on the screen. You can just write it down. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, Moses writes that parents should be impressing the words of the Lord upon the hearts of their children. He says, when you go out, when you come in, when you're sitting at the dinner table, parents, your job is not to raise kids that become, you ready for this? I'm going to blow you away. Your job, parents, is not to raise kids that become adults that contribute to society. <gasps> what? Deuteronomy tells us you are to raise kids that honor God. Because sometimes society and God are two different things. My job is to raise two boys that will honor God with their life and walk before God. And if society says we don't want anything to do with God, well, my job is to raise you to honor God. Right? And so Moses writes in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, now of course they are contributing to society, right, with the gospel message and with Jesus Christ, and that is the greatest contribution. Don't get me wrong. But their job as grown men is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Moses writes this in Deuteronomy. Now keep in mind, before we get to Deuteronomy, we've already gone through the book of Numbers. So this is part of what's supposed to be. It is the responsibility of every Jewish boy in Jesus' day to memorize the first five books of the Bible before they're 13. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. All five of those books have to be memorized verbatim before the age of 13 and have it impressed upon their heart. Jesus would have had all of these five books memorized as a child. This is something he would have memorized. God telling Moses, prep your army. Be prepared. We find David, actually. David in Psalm 144. 144 verse 1 says, Praise be to the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. This is King David. This is... This is the great, 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 great uh, grandfather of Jesus. 
And he says, I thank God that he trains me for war. Now, if you know anything about David, (laughs) yes, David and Goliath, that David, David wrote a large portion of the Psalms. David was a psalmist. He was, David was a poet. They, I mean, here, David is, is a poet writing poetry, sitting underneath the shade tree, out in the field writing beautiful poetry. Here's David playing the harp. David is an extremely artistic kind of guy. David's very artistic with music and with poetry. But don't cross David. Because David says, God has helped me prep my hand for war. And if you come at me, there'll be a price to pay. But when I'm not fighting, I'm playing music and I'm writing poetry and I'm gifted and I'm talented in the arts, but don't cross me. Goliath found that out. All of David's enemies found that out, right? You know what the word train in the Hebrew word means? The word train in Hebrew Literally, this is literally what it means. It means to to be accustomed through constant training. You just get used, you are accustomed to being trained. So he's telling God, God, thank you for making me accustomed to fighting and defending and warring. This isn't something you go looking for, but he says, God has prepared me for it, and I thank God for it because I'm able to defend what I love. This is David. This is David talking. I remember playing basketball. Anybody who's played any sport or, or done any type of, of artwork or musician that has played, as you practice, you train and you get accustomed to so that there is muscle memory. Well, what do I mean by muscle memory? By muscle memory, I mean that your body just does it and you don't think about it. Right? I remember, I remember when I first started playing basketball, part of our offense was pass the ball and then screen away. I'm talking to Hoosiers, so I hope everybody understands what I just said. Right? Pass you the ball, and then I go over here and I set a pick opposite. Right? That's so ingrained in me that when I now pick up, play pickup games... I don't pass the ball and then go pick for the guy I passed it to. I don't cut down the lane. I pass it, and I go, it's muscle memory. I just do it instinctively without thinking about it. This is training. This is what it means to be trained. David says, I can just war instinctively, and my muscles know what to do. I'm ready. Let's go. Right? This is David. This is David talking. In fact, David was such a warrior in 1 Samuel, you can write this down, in 1 Samuel 18, 6 and 7, the people literally praised David. They praised David for his his victories. It It said that Saul had slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. They're all like Saul's king. Saul's the king before David, and they're coming back from battle. Now imagine you're the king. You're the guy. You're supposed to be the hero. But you come back into town and everybody's like, yeah, he, slay, he, he defended us by killing thousands of people. And then David comes, this just little rooty kid, 
teenager. David comes in, because you're like 35, 40. David comes in, he's 18. They're singing your praises. You killed a thousand, you defended us, thank you. Then David walks in behind you and you're like, but that guy killed tens of thousands. Woo! Every adult in here would look around at that teenager and go, you're a dead man. Especially if you're the king, because what? Guess what? Guess who the people will start following? They're not going to look to you. They'll start looking to him. And we know, of course, that's, that's what begun to happen. And so the people in 1 Samuel 18, 6 and 7 celebrated David's ability to defend them. They celebrated Saul's too, but they really celebrated David's ability to defend them and to keep their way of life safe. Now, I know that there's probably some people here going, yeah, but, but, but Jesus said if you get slapped, turn the other cheek and let him slap that one. Anybody thinking that? Be honest because you're in church. Nobody's thinking that? Okay. Well, let's talk about it. We're going to talk about it anyway because it's in my notes. You guys good with that? You kind of have to be, don't you? It's not fair, is it? All right. So David, or David, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, 38 through 39, he's addressing the scribe, he's addressing a large group of people, but he's speaking specifically about a portion of the Old Testament in the first five books where it talks about you take an eye for an eye. And a tooth for a tooth. How many of you heard that, right? So he's addressing this. And what's happened is people have taken the law, the law that was intended for government and for judges to help them decide and judge from a bench, how should we handle this case? Well, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But the law that the judges are supposed to execute has now bled out into society and so people have said, well, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And the people now are taking the law into their own hands. One of the things that we learned in this series is that vigilantism in Scripture is wrong. So as fun as Batman might be, he's ungodly and God does not ordain Batman. Aren't you glad for that? That was supposed to be funny. Anyway, right? So the Bible says that vigilantism is wrong. And... Jesus is addressing this with the crowd because, guys, he says, guys, the law was given for the judges and the government to help them know how to judge. It wasn't intended for you to take it into your own hands. So I'm telling you that if somebody comes up against you personally because of me and my teachings, turn the other cheek. But hopefully one of the things that we've seen in this series is that God expects us to be able to defend ourselves, and we'll see this towards the end, but when it comes to the gospel, and it comes for the sake of Jesus, what's he say in Romans? He says, vengeance is mine, I will repay them. I will repay them if they harm you because of my namesake. But if, if, they're coming against you just, you know, to steal your TV, defend yourself, right? Or defend your country, defend, defend yourself. So personal retaliation is different than defending an entire country. We actually see that Jesus himself, how many of you know that Jesus is represented in the Old Testament? We've talked about this maybe once or twice. In the Bible, in the Old Testament, 
you'll see several times where it says the angel of the Lord. Because they didn't have the name Jesus or the Hebrew word Yeshua or the actual English name Joshua. If Jesus was here today, we would call him Joshua because that's our English name for it. Jesus is Greek and Yeshua is Hebrew. And so in the Old Testament, they didn't have Yeshua, Joshua, or Jesus. They didn't know what the Messiah was going to be called, but Jesus would show up in physical form in the Old Testament, and he would be called, he would be called the angel of the Lord. Um, let me give you just four scriptural references for the angel of the Lord. Genesis chapter 22, Genesis 22, 1 through 7, Genesis 16, 7 through 13, Genesis 16, 7 through 13, for those of you that are taking notes. Exodus chapter 3, 2 through 16. Exodus 3, 2 through 16. And then the last one is Judges uh, 6, 11 through 24. Judges 6, 11 through 24. Those are just a few uh, of the places where we can clearly begin to see that the angel of the Lord is God in physical form coming down. One of those is Abraham. Remember when... God told Abraham, you're going to have a child. Abraham was sitting out under a tree, and here comes, the Bible says, the angel of the Lord and two other men with them, with him. And then in that same conversation, Abraham literally calls the angel of the Lord God. So we come to, so with that understanding... We come to Isaiah, Isaiah records in Isaiah 37 and verse 36, then the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp, and when the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. There you have it. Jesus shows up in physical form in the Assyrian camp, and in one night, he personally slays 185,000 warriors. This is the other side of Jesus. Don't act like, well, well, Jesus is two-faced because every single one of you have two sides to you, right? Yes, you do. I'll ask your spouse if you're not agreeing with me, right? All of us have an anger side, a happy side, a depressed side. In fact, did you know that in Hebrew, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, there is no singular form for the word face? The word face, there is no singular form. It's always plural, faces. The faces, plural of God. The faces of, the faces of Moses. It's only in the English that we, the word face becomes singular. In the Hebrew, it means multiple faces, multiple. And so here Isaiah records, he says, Jesus, the angel of the Lord, showed up in the middle of the night and slew 185,000 warriors. This isn't, the, this isn't the first time or the only time we see Jesus defending the nation personally in physical form, defending the nation of Israel. We'll see it again in the future in Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 through 16, and verse, or chapter 14 and 20. In the battle of Armageddon, Jesus returns and personally slays. And the Bible says that he's in the battle of Armageddon, not what Hollywood says. In the battle of Armageddon, when Jesus returns to claim his property, known as planet Earth and the universe, he will, the Bible says that he will slay so many soldiers that the blood will run as high as a horse's bridle. 
in the valley of Megiddo, the blood will run so high that it will come up to a horse's bridle, and Jesus will personally slay all of the armies that come against Israel. So he's about, in the future, that 185,000 men in one night isn't going to hold a stick to what he's going to do. We have to understand something that God understands. Jesus himself understands that there is evil in this world. And if you pacify evil, it will overrun the good. And so good must be defended. Remember last week we talked about it's a spiritual principle. principle. Even in a spiritual world, Jesus had to die and fight to redeem our spirits. It has to happen in the spiritual world. It's a spiritual principle that gets carried over in the physical world. Peace must be defended. Peace has to be defended. And so we see that even Jesus himself is willing to take on evil himself if necessary to defend his people. If we're going, why, why, why would Paul in Ephesians 6 use Roman armor to explain how we should be living as Christians if there's not, if there's not a fight that goes on? Now, for most of us, that fight is in our head, telling ourselves through Scripture, through the power of the Word, saying, no, you're not allowed to think like that because the Bible says I'm supposed to think like this. The Bible says I'm supposed to believe this. The Bible says this about me. So whatever I think and whatever I feel and whatever I, however I define myself has to align to this because I'm a child of God. Now, if I want to be a child of myself or a child of Satan, I'll do whatever I want. But if I want to see heaven someday and I want to live according to God and I want to see God's blessings in my life and I want to see God, I, I want to be a part of this plan that God has for the human race and the plan that God has for his creation, then I got to get on board. And I have to say, okay, God, then I have to align myself to what you, because there's a battle for most of us, but most of the spiritual battle that goes on for us is in our heads and how we think and how we perceive ourselves and how we perceive our neighbors and what we think about ourselves. That's where the spiritual battle lies. In Romans eleven twenty two, 22, it says this, consider, therefore, the kindness of and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness, otherwise you will also be cut off. He goes, consider God for a minute. He writes to the church at Rome, Paul does, and he says, listen, there's a kind, God has a kindness and God has a sternness. And if you walk with God, and choose to follow God, you'll experience his kindness and his love and his mercy and his grace. But if you refuse to follow God and, and if you refuse to, to do what God asks and, and, you, and you choose to do things your way and, and, and go the way that you think is right, the Bible even says there is a way that seems right to man, but the end is death. He goes, then be prepared because God's sternness is coming. Right? It's not a part, like, it's not something we're overly excited about. And our job is to tell people, hey, God loves you. God wants you on board. It's your decision. You, do you want to follow Jesus? That's our responsibility. God's goodness falls on those who trust him 
and his sternness eventually falls on those who do not trust him. Okay? It just is. It, it's, I mean, just look at, look at the United States. Look, look at the countries that we give money to, that we help, that we, we provide finances for. But yet, there's another side of the United States. Attack us and what happens, right? There's two sides. There's two sides to that coin. I wonder how many of us do the same things with our kids. I love you, I love you, I love you. Are you on board or not? Because there's two sides to dad and there's two sides to mom, right? Clean the room, I love you, clean the room. Do the dishes, right? Do the dishes. I'm not telling you to do the dishes so that I don't have to do the dishes. That's a benefit. I'm telling you to do the dishes because one day you're going to have to take responsibility for things and your boss is going to expect you to do things, your spouse is going to expect you to do things, and you need to learn discipline and responsibility. I'm making you wash the dishes not so I can get out of it. I know we parents joke about it. But that's not why we do it. We do it because we, have, we love our children, and for their long-term health, we want them to understand responsibility, right? Oh, you're just making me mow the yard. I'm just picking these out because these are the conversations going on in my house. You're just making me mow the yard because you don't want to mow the yard. No. I was mowing the yard in you know, like fifth and sixth grade and mowing my grandpa's yard in fifth and sixth grade, and, you know, I had a hill, I was mowing. I mean, you know, like I was, and I didn't have self-propelled push mower. I was like, you know, like lean clear over. How many of you mow the yard like this, like as a kid, push up? Yes, right? Why? So I learned responsibility and hard work. Now they also know that I'm allergic to grass. And so if I go out there and mow and breathe it all in without taking my medication, then it's not good for me. But that's, that's a whole different topic, right? We do these things because we love our children and we want them to be successful as adults, so we train them now, okay? Well, God loves us, and he's training us for heaven because heaven isn't sitting on a cloud playing a harp with wings. It looks cute in cartoons, but it's not. We've talked about this. That's not the reality of heaven. There are things to do. There are jobs in heaven. There, there are thi- heaven is functioning. In fact, okay, Numbers chapter 21. I, I, I went way off my notes. No, Numbers chapter 21 verse 14 tells us that Israel kept a book of war, that God told Moses, keep a book of war for the nation of Israel. Now, that's been lost. We don't know where that is. But Israel used to record all of their wars and their tactics and their battles uh, they record the wars and then the battles and their tactics and so on. And so Moses passed down to Joshua a book of war. You know, we've not, archaeology has not stumbled across it, but God told Moses, keep a book of war. Who fought, where they fought, how the battles were fought, which wars you won, which wars you lost, etc. Um, and then we have Luke 14, verse 31, the words of Jesus. Jesus is... Jesus is talking here, um, and he uses an interesting analogy. 
He's talking about heaven. He says, suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider, consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? Jesus is talking about counting the cost of being my disciple. Are you going to follow me? You better count out the cost first because I'm going to ask you to pick up your cross and follow, and it's not always going to be fun, right? It's not always going to be, yeah, I'm a Christian, yay, right? He goes, count the cost. He goes, what king, when he gets ready to go to battle, doesn't first sit down and think about, okay, can I beat the opposing king? I've got 10,000, he's got 20,000, but can we do it? Why in the world would he use a war analogy? He could have used any other analogy, but he didn't. He used the analogy because he's realizing that even in the spiritual world, there is war. It's a necessity. It's not a pretty necessity. It's not something we like, nor is it something we want. Jesus didn't say, well, just don't do it. He says, no, when it happens... When this happens, not if it happens, but when this happens, doesn't a king sit down and count? Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8, some of you will be old enough to remember, there's this song, turn, turn, for every season, right? There's a time and a season for everything. That literally is taken from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, that song is. And it says there's a time for peace and there's a time for war. This is King Solomon, David's son, going, there's a time to live at peace, and there's a time to go to war. God clearly, the Bible even says in other verses, God is a, God is not, God does not want war, but he's a person of war if he's tried. Let me tell you a story in closing of a man, some of you might know this man, a man by the name of Roger Young. Roger Young enlisted in the National Guard in 1938. In 1938, Roger Young enlists, and in 1943, his National Guard unit gets called up to serve in the Solomon Islands in World War II. It's not a pretty picture. It's not something that, you know, internally, like in the military, there's like National Guard, and then there's full-time. Like, it's an internal joke thing, kind of. Anyway, all right. So, but National Guard gets called up. They're in the... They're in the islands, and they get surprised. He and his group get surprised by a group of Japanese in the jungles in the islands, South Pacific. They come upon basically a Japanese pillbox, and if you don't know what a Japanese pillbox is in World War II, let me just explain it real quick. It's basically a bunker with heavy machine guns in them, with a few men. And as, as Roger Young's cutting his way, they're cutting their way through the jungle in the islands, they come across a Japanese pillbox that opens fire on them, and they are pinned down, and there's no way to get out. There's no way out. 
They know they are dead. They know it's over. In fact, in that initial fire, Roger Young took a stray bullet. But before I tell you the rest of the story, I'm going to back up a little bit and give you some backstory. You see, Roger Young had a freak accident playing basketball in high school. In that freak accident, he lost most of his vision and most of his hearing. He wanted to join the Army, but he couldn't, so he joined the National Guard, and he covered it up really well. In fact, he became quite a good rifleman with very little sight and very little hearing. And he did so well, he got promoted from private to sergeant. And after being sergeant for a little while, he went to his commanding officer and asked to be demoted. Good standing, marksman, but he has to be demoted. Why? Why do you want to be demoted? Because, as a sar- because I can't see and I can't hear very well. And if I have to lead men, I'll put them all at risk. I'm not capable to lead. And after some arguing, they said, Roger that, demoted. Now his unit's shipped off to the islands. He takes a stray bullet in that first ambush. Realizing his men are pinned down, firefight, can't see. He can't see real well, he can't hear real well. He starts to go up the hill towards the pillbox, takes another shot. He's laying down with his rifle as much fire as he can, takes out five Japanese in the pillbox with bad sight. Gets close enough to the pillbox that he lobs a grenade in, takes them out, and then takes his final third shot that killed him. His men escaped. His men survived. That was July 31st, 1943. To this day, there's a song about him. The Ballad of Roger Young. You can Google it, look it up. There's a song about him. The Ballad of Roger Young. Roger who would lay down his life to protect his men. Oh, yeah, the men he had been demoted in front of. Because he said, I'm not fit to lead. I, I can't see her here. I'll put them all at risk. Let me tell you something else, though. 2,000 years ago, there was the greatest leader man has ever known. And he went to his commanding officer. He said, Father, demote me to human status. I'll take it on. And I'll march up Calvary's Hill, and I'll take the shots. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus took the demotion lived a perfect life, marched up Calvary's hill, and took our shots. But unlike Roger Young, Jesus says, I don't stop there. I actually just did that so I could go down and 
kick Satan's butt. I'm coming back. And he comes back from the grave to give us hope and to give us eternal life. And yes, he is coming back as a warrior one day to reclaim what's his. But in the meantime, he offers us the opportunity to get on board with him. And so this morning, I want to invite you, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, and you've said, I want to, you've been saying, I want to live life for myself. I've not been living for Jesus. I want to invite you to come forward. I want to pray with you, or I will pray with you as you walk out these doors. If you're here this morning, you need prayer for anything else. As we close out in song, if you need prayer for anything else, I want to pray with you. I believe that God will heal you. God will restore you in whatever fashion, whether it's physical, emotional, or mental. Let's stand up. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I
guys ready to have an amazing week, an amazing weekend? Yes? All right, listen, I love you. Jesus loves you. Go have a great Memorial Day weekend. Thank you.